So even though I've never flown them, I have to say I'm a huge fan of Southwest Airlines. I, I don't know if you know anything about them, but they were profitable for 47 straight years until last year with, with COVID pandemic. Uh, in 1972, if you invested a dollar in every company in the S&P 500, uh, 30 years later, Southwest Airlines would have given you the greatest return on your investment. They're a highly successful company that's run the right way. And there's a great story of how Southwest Airlines actually had the opportunity to expand into San Francisco. This was years and years ago. It was a hugely lucrative opportunity, or at least that's what the outsiders thought. But Southwest passed, they passed on the opportunity and people thought they were crazy, but to them it was simple. So Southwest has a vision and their vision is great customer service, be low cost and be on time. Those three things, they guide everything they do. And so they passed on San Francisco because if you know anything about the Bay Area, it's got a lot of fog. And Herb Keller, uh, the CEO, he knew he couldn't control the weather. So at the time, based upon the limitations of planes and the aviation world, while it may have made them a lot of money, they would have had to sacrifice their core values, their vision. This, this is intentionality, making informed and educated decisions that are in line with your vision. And intentionality, it's what today's episode is about. If you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 210 with Dave Brandt. What an impactful episode. Uh, he discussed the three big things that are necessary for a great team culture, vision, servant leadership, and intentionality. I can't say enough great things about it. But for now, I won't, so we can get into today's episode of the Coaching Culture Podcast. Welcome. It's great to have you back. My name is JP Nurbin, in case you forgot, or this is your first episode, and I'm joined by Nate Sanderson, who's my co-host and buddy. And every week, we try to give you intentional tools and strategies to improve your team's culture. We try to do that in under 30 minutes, but we got so fired up today, uh, and we're on such a roll, we ran a little over. Sorry about that. Speaking of being intentional, if you haven't already, I highly recommend my two online courses, the Playing Time System and the Captain's Council. Uh, they are proven intentional ways of addressing two big things, uh, leadership and playing time, and they will help you improve your team's culture. And honestly, they'll make your job easier as a coach. Save 10% by using the coupon code COACHINGCULTURE. There's a link in the details of this episode as well at thriveonchallenge.com. All right, Nate, so we just finished up an incredible three-part series with Dave Brandt and Mike Zigarelli, and, and there's been a lot of discussion uh, on social media and in the TOC community on just some of the big takeaways from that episode or that series. And probably for me, the, the number one thing that I keep coming back to that I, that I really learned from Dave Brandt was just the importance of intentionality, right? Like how important it is for us to be intentional in everything we do, which is one of the seven disciplines that Mike Zigarelli writes about in the Messiah Method. And so I've just been trying to unpack, you know, these last few weeks around, you know, what does it really mean for us to be intentional? And I asked, you know, even on the group me within the TOC community, like, how do other people define intentionality? And, you know, we got a lot of different responses there. And, and probably one of those that I found, you know, to be most profound was just how important it is for our behaviors the things that we do, our processes, our procedures, and our program to be in line with our vision, with our very purpose as a coach. And I look back to my own coaching journey 
And I'd say when I probably first got into coaching, I was very much a reacting coach. I was highly emotional. I'd go out there and I would just react. I wouldn't really give a lot of thought to my practice planning or even just how I might respond or, or react to you know, players' behavioral issues. Um, but as time went on, I think I moved on this continuum from reacting to responding. Like I, I tried to you know, give some thought you know, and put some thought into my practice plans or how I might handle these issues uh, within my team. But I think even more than responding, right? is this level of like, you know, intentionality. And I would kind of define intentionality myself as really an educated and an informed response that's in line with our purpose and our vision. Like we really take time to seek out what is the best way that is possible for me to behave in this moment as a coach, for me to act as a coach. Um, and I think that's where really I've been challenged is really trying to look at all the things that we do as coaches. How can we continue to be more intentional? Well, JP, when I think of those words, reacting, responding, and, and acting with intentionality, to me, you know, it, it comes down to a little bit of, of the time perspective when we're making some of those decisions or we're choosing the behaviors you know, that we're going to conduct ourselves with. When I think of you know, reacting, it's oftentimes when I'm at my worst, and the emotion gets the best of me. And all of a sudden there are words tumbling out of my mouth, you know, before I've given much thought to what I want to say or what the situation needs or what my player needs to hear rather than just what feels good for me to get off my chest. Um, and, and I think like you, I've gotten a little bit better with that over the years, but there's certainly times where, you know, we're in a place and we tend to react, whether it's with our team or our family or what have you. I think when you shift that that perspective to responding, you know, just as you described there, it's it's giving that moment of pause to reflect on what should be said here. It's still after the fact a player screws up or your team doesn't play well or maybe something's not going well in practice, but instead of just reacting emotionally, I'm giving some thought, I'm thinking before I speak, I'm trying to figure out what does the team need me to say or need me to do in this moment as I'm responding to whatever's just happened. But to me, that what differentiates the idea of being intentional is almost that instead of responding or reacting after the fact, we're putting a lot of work in on the front end to anticipate possible obstacles, possible challenges, possible conflicts that might arise, possible drama you know, that could surface during the year, and already starting to think, and maybe even engaging with our team, should this happen, how do we want to respond? And I think to me, that all comes back to we're doing everything on purpose. Everything is aligned with purpose, just as you said, and everything that we choose to do, we're doing on purpose. We're not just allowing something to happen and basing our, you know, our experience on hope or our response on, geez, I hope you know, my team does this, that, or the other. We're engaged in every situation with intentional purpose as to how we want to act, how we want to respond and how we want to coach our team forward. Yeah, and I absolutely love that idea of anticipation, right? Like you have to and try to anticipate the challenges ahead. I, I think one of the things that I truly love to do in my work of supporting coaches is how when we hop on a call, oftentimes we're breaking down a scenario or some sort of something that happened within a practice or a team meeting and we'll kind of unpack that. And I'll unpack that with the coach of what happened. And then 
was the their response was it the best way or is there a better way you know and i love doing that with them not not because we're trying to make them feel bad or anything like that but because we're trying to then say okay when this happens again or something similar like that happens again this is how we can respond in the future as coaches this could be our action plan and so we try to by learning from our experiences then put a plan in place where we can be an intentional, intentional with our interventions or some sort of strategy to address that issue. And I was actually just on a call last night with uh, Prairie Hockey Academy, a, a program I work with up in Canada. And you know, we got about 10, 11 coaches on that call, and they are working very hard to be really intentional in their coaching this year. And I would say all these guys are high character guys. They they don't react often. They're really trying to put a lot of thought into their responses. But one of the things that I challenged them on was I said, hey, when you even look at your practice plan, you can anticipate some of these issues that we're experiencing. You know the drill. You know the segment of practice where the team's effort might drop. You know where that player or a couple players will really struggle because they're going to be stretched or challenged by something new. And you know a few months into the season, how they will often choose to react. So if we can anticipate where our team might struggle in those moments, if we can anticipate where in a few individuals, then we can kind of plan out our interventions based upon what we know to be some of the best practices for, for coaching. Well, JP, I think what you're describing there is not really that different from how we invest in planning and preparing for upcoming games. I mean, if you think about the process of learning your opponent and anticipating the challenges and what do I want to take away and how are they going to attack us and preparing for all those situations. You know, the worst thing can, one of the worst things that can happen in, is, in a game is when a team throws something at you that your players haven't seen before or you haven't taught them how to respond to that before. And so on the fly, you're trying to figure it out. Well, we put a lot of time into our game planning preparation, but imagine if we spent that same amount of energy planning and preparing for the challenges that we might see with our culture during the year, you know, following a similar process. Um, our good friend TJ Rosine down at Emmanuel College, he, he talks about at the beginning of the year uh, doing an oh shit meeting with his team. And essentially what they do is they, they just gather around early in the season and they list as many things as possible that could go wrong, that could derail their experience, that could have a detrimental impact on their culture. And they just brainstorm this huge list up on the board, which helps the coaches then to think about, okay, here are the things that we could see during the year in terms of impacting our culture. How do we want to teach into those things before they become issues? And I've had a couple of coaches that we work with actually doing this process. And something that I've added to that that I think is really useful is that imagine you got 15 things up on your whiteboard, having the players give each of those things a percentage, zero to 100, what's the likelihood that playing time issues are going to be a problem that would affect our culture? Kind of look around the room and you think, well, <laughs> probably 85% chance that that's going to be an issue sometime during the year. You know, what's the chances that uh, so-and-so being upset about starting? Whatever those issues might be, so that I know the player's perspective of, yeah, this is pretty likely that we're going to have to face this. The other number that I ask coaches to do with their team is to have the players rank, again, on a scale of 0 to 100, what is the potential negative impact if we see this storm 
on the horizon and we have to go through it as a team, can it derail us? You know, it's, it's something that could be really impactful. It's a, it's a 90 that, you know, the weight of 90 that could throw off our whole season or all of our chemistry, you know, could go down the drain if we don't handle this the right way. Or is it something that, you know, coach, the players don't really see this as a big deal. You know, maybe it's uh, gosh, I know people are going to be late for practice. That's probably a 90%. Do the players care? Mm, you know, that's probably not going to ruin our culture. So they give it a, a 10 in terms of impact. Well, as a coaching staff, when you take those numbers and add them together, you get a pretty good perspective and have the coaches do this as well on what are the likely things that we need to prepare for and start coaching into those things before it's necessary so that you have the skills and you have the game plan to be able to respond when those things happen. And I absolutely love that activity because you're bringing them into that process of anticipating challenges themselves. You know, that, that's just a really incredible activity. And I know Monty Williams did something very similar with the Phoenix Suns before the start of last season. Now, I know a lot of coaches might you know, hear this and they might think, well, it sounds like sometimes we might be going looking for trouble or looking to create issues. But you know, there's, there's something that I always uh, look for uh, on my calls with coaches. And, and sometimes it's, it's when things are going well. You know, and we, I might be on a call with a coach and yeah, you know, not a lot going on here. Things are going well. We're just moving along. And I always pause that moment. And I don't like to be the bearer of bad news or, or Mr. Negative, but I'm always like, well, is there anything that we're missing? Like, what are, what's coming up? What's next? Is there anything that could co- go wrong? Like, is there any potential issue that could come up? And we're always looking for potential obstacles in the road. But the other thing we're also doing is just, where can we elevate a certain part of our program? What's something that we do within our program that we haven't actually ever reviewed and said, is there a better way of doing this? And I remember last, just last season, there was a, one coach who had you know, missed one of his calls one week. And you know, the next week, you know, we get on the, on, the, on the phone and we're connecting about uh, the awards banquet that he had, the end of the year awards banquet. And he was really upset because it had gone poorly. You know, it just was kind of very bland and people weren't engaged. And we, we unpacked all the things that he did and there was nothing bad about what he did, but he didn't do anything necessarily to elevate that experience, to add, you know, levels of intentionality, to create this unique experience that he actually had created all year for his team, for his players. Like they had an incredible season. And then we got to the end of the end of the year and it's the awards banquet. And there just wasn't any intentionality in how to elevate that experience. And so it's not always just about anticipating issues. It's just saying, Hey, we've always done our awards banquet this way, but what can we do to intentionally improve this experience for our athletes so that it, is more in line with our vision for the program. I think for me, JP, if I'm being totally honest here, I'm always looking for trouble on the horizon. (laughs) And I hope that doesn't make me a negative Nancy in terms of how I coach, but I feel like the questions that we're asking our coaches and our captains throughout the year and when we're engaging with players in our one-on-ones, like I'm always trying to be sensitive to drama that might be percolating somewhere that could have an effect on the team so that we can coach it, as we said before, um, you know, before it's necessary, before it becomes a major issue. And I think an, another thing, and I know we've talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast um, at length, but just going back to the value that Dr. Bruce Perry talks about in terms of building resilience in young people. And he talks about how if we can expose them to stress that is predictable, 
and moderate, right? And controllable, that that's how they start to develop their skills of resiliency. And so I think, again, by being intentional and anticipating things that could go wrong, we're also allowing players not to be surprised necessarily when you run into those challenges and that they're better equipped, they're better able, their stress response systems are a little bit more balanced for them to be able to handle those situations, even if we're not investing a lot in potential solutions on the front end. I think the other thing I'd add to what you just mentioned there about um, just trying to pick something and really think through, could we be more intentional or purposeful about how we do this thing coming up, our awards banquet or senior night or something like that? You know, that's something that I think over the years, we've always tried to pick one or two things that we're really going to try to improve that year. You know, it's, it's a lot to ask for us to improve our captain's council and our senior night and our you know, going parent meeting and going down the line to do everything in one year. But I think if you can say, look, this year, we're going to invest in these two things. We're going to really think about it. We're going to really research how are other people doing this. You know, we're going to really look at are our values of gratitude, effort, and love really reflected and reinforced in how we do senior night? I think that's a pretty legitimate question for us to ask, right? And in what ways could we do that better? And I think when we've done that, not only have we tried to do it sort of in in bite-sized pieces that we can handle in the midst of the season, but we've also really tried to do it in a way where we're getting, for lack of a better term, kind of 360-degree feedback and perspective on the thing we're trying to improve. So let's take senior night as an example. If we wanted to really examine, are our values manifesting on senior night and what we're doing for our seniors? I'm probably going to talk to some alumni and ask them about their senior night experience. I might reach out to some parents and ask them about what senior night was like for them when their daughters went through. I might ask our underclassmen, you know, in what ways do you think it's most appropriate to honor our seniors? Is there anything else we could do? We're going to talk about it with our coaching staff. I'm probably going to ask around the building, some other coaches, what are they doing in volleyball to honor their seniors or in cross country and really just trying to get sort of the widest perspective and then start to work backwards from there to see how can we enhance this experience. And again, if you're doing it with that kind of depth, you really can't do more than one or two things a year. But if you can really establish, you know, senior night in year one and banquet in year two and, you know, and add those things to your program kind of incrementally um, by year five, six, seven, if you're still alive in your job by then you, you can have a pretty special experience. So if people are listening to this and they're thinking, well, this sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) The answer is yes, it is, you know, but it gets me so excited. I can't imagine as a coach just doing the same thing year in and year out. I mean, me and you were on a call with, you know, three or four other coaches a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, tryouts and player selection and being a part of coaches that are unpacking this and trying to find a better way of doing things. Even like Jeff Boos, who's a Hall of Fame Wisconsin coach, coached for over 30 years. I mean, that is just so exciting to be around people that want to continuously find better ways of doing things that are bringing high levels of intentionality, regardless of the number of years that they have experienced in this profession. We weren't all like that all the time. I know that I wasn't always that way. I I think one of the things that I struggle with in the past uh, not necessarily was the work part of it. Like I definitely was wanted to get after it, but I used to probably at the end of the season or at different points throughout the season, instead of saying, okay, what can I do? How can I be more intentional in my response to support my players, to develop them as leaders, 
to make this experience more enjoyable. I would just blame the culture. I would just blame this generation. I would just blame the lack of leadership, you know, just say, well, you know, I just don't think, see, I haven't, I don't have any leaders on this year's team. You know, that, that was, I mean, I hear that so often from coaches out there and the, the coach world is just like, yeah, I don't have any leaders. Well, it's our job to develop them, right? We have to step in and be intentional. And, and Brand says it, and it's so powerful. He says, if I didn't like my team, I knew it was my fault. Like, if I don't like my team, it's my fault. And, and I, that's always resonated with me. Um, I know Jocko Willink, the author of Extreme Ownership, talks about it as well. He says, there's no bad team. There's just bad leaders. And I know a lot of people don't like that quote or it kind of they get defensive, but it's the truth. Like, if we don't like something, we need to step in and be intentional in trying to address those issues. Well, that reminds me, JP, of a, a quote from Mike Leach in his book, Swing Your Sword. He says in his office at Texas Tech, when he was the head football coach there, he had a big sign that his staff would read every time they walked into the room that said, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. I don't think very often as we look at, you know, things that don't go well or decisions that players make off the floor or team doesn't work as hard as you want. Very rarely do we say, yeah, I'm allowing that to happen. I'm giving permission for that consciously, deliberately. But in reality, if that's the approach that we have, I'm either going to coach it or I recognize that I am permitting this to happen because I'm choosing not to coach into it or respond to it or plan for it. Again, I think that's such a powerful mind shift for us as coaches that we can be intentional, that we should be intentional about just, just about every aspect of our program. As we've gone through this conversation, have any examples specifically come to mind for you where a situation was improved with a little intentionality that led to a great outcome for you or for, for one of the coaches that you work with? Well, that's a tough question. What's an easy question? It's tough because, I mean, there's so many different examples I could give, but it's easy because uh, there's been so many great successes when we've tried to become more intentional. And one of those is around playing time. You know, for for years, we would just get frustrated and we would try to communicate to players their role and how many minutes we might think they might be playing. But at the end of the day, the feedback we kept getting with teams was players still didn't understand that what their role was. They didn't feel like the coach had communicated that. So we kind of started doing this with a lot of teams in the last couple of years where coaches would send out a Google form to all their players. One question, maybe two questions. The first question, would be how many minutes do you expect to play in tomorrow's game? The second question would be, you know, could you describe your role within the game? And you'd send out that Google form and it wouldn't be every game, but it'd be games where you felt like there was a lineup, you know, a roster change of, of significance. And the goal with that intentionality of sending that form out and getting their feedback was, was to potentially, I was to identify some potential issues some issues where a player thought he's going to play a lot more and he wasn't, or a player didn't realize he's going to play a lot and he was going to be expected to play a lot more. Now it's usually the former, you know, the issue is that the problem, but what it does is it, okay, now we have an issue. This player is expecting more minutes than he's probably, or she's going to probably get. Now I can go have an, a conversation with that person, an intentional conversation and ask questions and reflect, you know, help them to see our perspective. But that level of intentionality has helped prevent so many issues on the bench 
during games because a player gets in there and all of a sudden they're, they're getting frustrated and their body language changes and their parents get upset because they went in with the expectation of so many minutes and then it never actually happened in reality. So that has helped improve the benches and the locker rooms significantly. In fact, just even last season with my team, the Lithuanian Celtics, I sent out the very similar form and I was able to identify one player who definitely had a different expectation of the number of her minutes that she'd play. I had a conversation with her 24 hours in advance and she was not happy in that moment that she wasn't going to be a starter. She wasn't going to be the first off the bench, but she texted me later after the game. She said, thank you for letting me know in advance because that gave me time to kind of really refocus myself and be about the team right there. Intentionality addresses an issue and improves the relationship at the end of the day, I think. I think that's a great example, JP, of addressing an issue that all coaches are you know, going to face at some point during their season, which is expectations of a player or potentially a parent not being met and how you've coached into that situation in advance in order to benefit the team. I, I love that example. You know, for me, I think of a couple of things I wrote about in the newsletter this week and shameless plug. If you're not getting the TOC newsletter, visit thriveonchallenge.com to sign up. But talked a little bit about Tom Brady going back to Foxborough and the big Sunday night football game as he returned to play Bill Belichick and the, and the Patriots and how that game was different. No matter what people wanted to say ahead of time and everybody's you know trying to keep it in perspective, it's just a regular season game. There hasn't been a game like that in many, many years, right? In the NFL, it was different. It felt different. And what we talked about in the newsletter article was, do we need to coach differently when we're anticipating or going into games that are going to feel different? And I told a story of last season when uh, at North Lynn, we started off the year undefeated. We moved all the way up to number two in the polls. And uh, just after Christmas break, we went on the road to play one of our biggest rivals in the conference who was ranked number one. So two, number two at number one, uh, both teams undefeated, you know, big game, media buildup before and after the game, big crowd, a um, lot of anticipation. And we really weren't sure because our team was a young team. We were playing four underclassmen in our seven or eight man rotation. We didn't know what to expect and how they were going to respond. And I think in the past, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have just hoped that we were ready. You know, we would have kept to our process and we would have done our normal pregame and watching film and that sort of thing and just hope that they were ready for the moment. And I think you hear that a lot. So in order to try and prepare them for how this game feels differently, we spent our Mental Health Wednesday that week just talking about the game. How is it going to feel differently? Letting our upperclassmen who had played this team many times before, you know, talk about the environment and their gym and their crowd and their student section and that sort of thing. We asked the questions. What happens if we win this game? Well, we would move up to number one. We'd have the inside track on a conference title, but we don't win the conference outright. You know, like there's nothing that's clinched in the middle of January with a road victory in conference. And we also asked them, well, what happens if we lose? And again, what we're trying to do is, number one, be able to surface some potential fears and pressures and expectations that even if we lost this game, we weren't going to fall out of the rankings. We're only going to be one bit, you know, game back in the conference standings. We have a, a chance to play them again, right? So there wasn't anything that was going to torpedo our season if we lost this game. We we're trying to reduce some pressure by talking about that ahead of time. And then we asked them, no matter what the outcome, how are we going to benefit from this experience? 
And what's going to be unique about this experience that we don't get in a regular season game or a normal game that we want to make sure that we enjoy. In other words, we put a lot of intentional effort in on the front end to try to frame that game, regardless of what the outcome ended up being, so that it would benefit us moving forward. And what we came from that meeting is that the players were convinced, well, we're going to find out where we're at. We're playing the best team in the state, according to the rankings. So we'll see how we stack up. And no matter what happens, we're going to get some feedback that's going to help us get better as we go into the second half of the season. And in that game, we ended up losing by 18 and we didn't play well and we didn't handle some things very well out on the floor. But that became a turning point for us where we started to identify here are areas that we have to get better. And ultimately, at the end of the year, we end up getting a state tournament berth, I think largely because of how we responded to that game and because and we responded the way that we did because we were so intentional about how we approached it. And JP, I've got one other example that comes to mind of just something really practical, you know, where we've tried to be purposeful in how we make a change in our program. Remember a few years back when we, um, after we had committed to meeting with our captains every week and using the captain's council, we had a year where we turned over, you know, our entire captain's council. So the previous year, they were all seniors. They graduated. So we're bringing in a whole new group of captains. And I was worried that they wouldn't really understand the weight of the position, you know, what was expected of them in terms of being honest with me and collaborating on, you know, decision-making and problem-solving and that sort of thing. How do I prepare them for that when they haven't been in the room, right? And experienced it before. And so what we did that year is that our first captain's meeting happened right before Thanksgiving break. And so I invited back all of the former captains who were home for Thanksgiving to come to our first meeting. There was about four or five of them that came in my office, little office with our three captains. And I just had them share their experience of what was it like to be a captain? What does coach expect from you? Why does it matter to the team? You know, how did they grow as a person and as a leader because they were, you know, a part of this captain's council. And what I realized then is that their experience and hearing that from former players who had been in the room and sitting in the chairs opposite me in years past, people that those current captains had looked up to when they were freshmen and sophomores and juniors were now speaking life back into them in a way that I couldn't. You know, those former players were preparing them in ways that I couldn't do, right, as the coach. And as I think about that, I think one of the most underutilized resources when it comes to being intentional and purposeful and reflecting on what we do is talking to our alumni, you know, is asking former players about their banquet experience, their senior night experience, you know, their pregame experience, whatever it is that you're trying to improve, talking to those who have been through it the way that we've always done it, quote unquote, and then just asking them, you know, do they have ideas about how we could do that better for this year's seniors or this year's banquet? Some of the best ideas that we've ever had and the best improvements that we've added to our program have been from those former players who wouldn't volunteer them on their own, but when asked and when we reach out to them, still care a lot about the kind of experience that our current players are having and give us great direction in terms of how to be intentional to improve aspects of our program. Well, and there's three questions in there that you kind of shared that I have taken from you and I share with people all the time. They were, what was your experience like? What could your experience have been? You know, what, what, would have been, what would be a great experience and how can we go and create that experience for those people? 
I love asking alumni or even just veteran players in the program those questions. And I learned that from you. Now, as we're finishing up here today, I think one thing I really want to stress is that we're not saying we need to be thinking about, hey, I'm a bad coach or the way I used to do things was bad. We're talking about just finding areas of your program and just asking how we can improve that. And I think this is probably the number one difference or the shift or change that I experienced as a coach that helped me to become a significantly better coach was when I just started to embrace that fact that I could get better in almost every single thing that I could do. And that when someone gave me negative feedback or I was criticized or the results weren't, didn't go um, the way we wanted them to go, or there was something unpleasant about the team's experience or my experience, that I always just started to reflect of just how could I help improve this situation, improve this experience for the players, for the team, and even for myself. And I think that's what it's about. It's not saying this is bad or I was doing things the wrong way. It's just finding those little things that you can do differently that will make it better. The last thing, JP, that I would share with coaches this week is that sometimes, you know, when I look at our situation, we're going into year one at Mount Vernon, and we have, in a sense, a, a blank slate. A lot of things we'd like to implement, a lot of things that probably will be changes from what they've done in the past. It can seem a little bit overwhelming, you know, to try to improve or install or be intentional in all these different areas that we'd like to impact. But I'm brought back to what Dave Brandt shared in in the series uh, that we had with him over the last couple of weeks, where he talked about his vision for Camelot on the pitch. Now, in his mind, he's been coaching for 30 plus years. There's a vision for what the ideal looks like in terms of how his team plays and practices and trains and competes. And I think he would be the first one to acknowledge that even though we've been chasing this pie in the sky picture of what we want our team and program to look like, we're still not there yet, even after 30 years of coaching and pursuing this ideal. But the thing that I was struck with is there's a very clear satisfaction that he talks about knowing that this year we're a little bit closer than we were last year. And I think we talk all the time about having a growth mindset and, and wanting to be continually improving ourselves and our program. And to me, that's it. You know, we hold on to that vision. We don't let go of that dream of what it could be. And we pick little pieces here and there to be purposeful about improving. And we take satisfaction that this year we're getting a little bit closer. We're closer than we were last year. And that drives me to want to be even closer next year. And all of that happens from a place of starting with intentionality. All right, that's it for today. If you want to take two huge steps to be intentional, like I said in the introduction, check out the Plain Time System and the Captain's Council courses. I promise you, I guarantee you, they will be worth your investment of time and money and you can save 10%. Uh, information is in the episode details or you can just find them at thriveonchallenge.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share. Next week, we've got a very special guest from the NFL coming onto the podcast, Mr. Tom Brady. Actually, that's not true. I just made that up, but he is from the NFL. He is Mr. Jaguar, uh, Brad Meester. He was a center for the Jaguars for 13 years. So we'll see you next week.